So Blake, what do you do besides being the co-host with David of the Cloud Accounting Podcast? Uh, it kind of takes up my Saturday mornings and I have a six-year-old son. So that is a lot of fun right now. We go swimming and we play a lot of video games. You know, it's funny. It's like I grew up playing Super Mario and uh, now that that's all he wants to do too. So it's like I'm reliving my childhood, but in higher resolution graphics. This episode of Accounting Salon Conversations is sponsored by our launch partner, Rippling. Rippling is more than payroll. And now that most employees are working remotely, your clients need more than just payroll. They need payroll, HR, and IT all working together in an all-in-one modern, flexible system. By using Rippling, when you add a new employee to payroll, you're simultaneously enrolling them in benefits, instantly setting up their email, and even sending them a computer preloaded with all the software and apps they need to do their job. Imagine how impressed your clients will be when this takes only 90 seconds. Right now, I'm sure most of you are doing just payroll, but with Rippling, you'll be able to expand the advisory work you're offering your clients. Rippling offers accountants free payroll and HR for their firms, a client dashboard, dedicated accountant support, and white glove migrations from other just payroll systems. To learn how you can evolve your client advisory services beyond bookkeeping and just payroll, head over to accountingsalonconversations.promo slash rippling. That's accountingsalonconversations.promo forward slash R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G. Rippling, everything your clients need. And just for listeners of the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast, Rippling is offering a $100 Amazon gift card for any listener that attends a demo. (laughs) We play a lot of Mario Party right now. I don't know if you've ever heard of that game or played that game, but it's like a board game with Mario characters and uh, we team up and we have to play mini games and, and all that stuff. Uh, I haven't been getting out much because of COVID, obviously, but uh, when I do, I like to bowl. I've been in a few bowling leagues. Um, we we moved from LA to uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, so I've been, you know, nesting, doing a lot of home improvement projects, like everybody else. Um, we just put yeah, in. Wanna... Yeah, go ahead. I want to talk more about that um, in a few minutes because I think that you are sort of the, at least in in um, my world, you are the example of what I think is about to happen across the um, country. <laughs> so, but I want to talk about that later. But what else yeah. besides bowling and um, and Thomas? It, it, you said you guys play a board game. Like, is that an analog board game? Uh, uh, this is a, a video board game. So it's like a board game, but on the Nintendo. That's that's the Mario Party game I was talking about. Okay, so can you explain this to me because my kids are older and um and and Jack, my son who's uh, who's 16, you know, plays a fair amount of Madden or whatever. But there's this whole subculture of watching people play video games. Mhm. Yep. Um Twitch. That's the app that everybody uses. D- is that something that you and Thomas do or does it's, it Can you explain to me why what? <laughs> so he he, I have to say, like, I'm not good at limiting the screen time. And so Thomas watches what some might consider to be an unhealthy amount of YouTube. And what he watches on YouTube is mostly other people playing video games when he's not playing games himself. Uh, and like, it's, it's a thing. I mean, 
I don't know. It's like my my younger brother grew up watching me play video games because he liked he 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 wasn't as good as me because I was older, obviously. So when he was young, he just liked watching, and it's just like I I think of it like watching sports. Like actually, I'm not really a sports guy, so when I see people who are obsessed with sports just watching it all the time. I'm like, wouldn't you rather be playing sports? Like, like especially stuff like golf. Like, you want to watch people play golf? Like, you could go play golf, like, right now. Why, why don't you just go play golf? Why are you watching people play golf? It's the same thing with video games. It's insane. Uh, <laughs> we're just insane in different ways, I guess. Well, nobody uh, wants to watch me do accounting. That's for sure. Well, you know what I like to watch is I like to, when I have the time, uh, sometimes I'll just put this on in the background is I'll put on Twitch on my TV in my office and I'll find somebody who's speed running old video games like Super Mario or Metroid. And speed running is when you try to beat the game as fast as you can. And there are world records in this and it's extremely competitive. And people have figured out insane tricks to beat the game super, super fast, like bugs in the game that they exploit, things like that. Uh, and there's people that just come home from work and they do this all day long. I mean, there's people who have quit work because they can do it professionally. That's how popular this is. It's like a, it's a sport. That is so crazy. It's weird, right? Like we live in a really weird future. This is not what we imagined when we were kids. <laughs> yeah. We thought so, we, yeah. So one of the books I read during COVID, um, which is probably was not a great option was ready player one. Have mm-hmm. you read that? Oh yeah. 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 Or, where you, you know, the the idea of this book is that we're in the future and it's this dystopian reality of people are spending more time in virtual reality environments than they are in real life because real life is just so awful because of bad things that have happened. And I'm listening to, to this, which was written like several years ago. I'm yeah. listening to it in the height of the pandemic last year. And I was like, this is so messed up. This is so messed up. Like it's, it's creepy. Yeah, but it's not that far off, right? Like I walk around my neighborhood. So like I said, I moved from Los Angeles to Arizona. And you know what happens when you take your LA salary to Arizona is you can live in like the nicest part of town. So I like, I feel like I live in Beverly Hills or the Pacific Palisades or something in the Phoenix area. And so I can walk out of my door and into the hills. And there's all these trails in my neighborhood and I'll walk on the trails and the trails go through the community. It's like a master plan community. So I can see into people's backyards and that's half the fun, but there's like never anybody in the backyard. There's never anybody outside. And I speculate they're all just inside on their computers or playing video games or watching Netflix or something. Like we're already there. Yeah. Or like you holding a a job in, uh, in tech, right? That's, That's right. Yeah. They're just on their computer all day long on zoom meetings. So. Yeah, Ready Player One, not that far off. No, it's not. Well, that was what was so creepy about it is that that it wasn't that far off. Yeah. You know? Um, okay, so let's talk about you moving from L.A. to Arizona. So I have a theory, and you were evidence of this theory, that um, that with with the forced remote work environment now, People are going to ditch expensive urban areas and live wherever they want. So mm-hmm. am I right? Am I wrong? Well, I'm a survey data freak. And anyone who listens to the show will know that I love that kind of stuff. And all the data I've seen says that something like 25% of people who can are going to be working remotely. 
in the future after the pandemic, and that is up from the single digits. So now it's going to be possible to have a career and work remotely, and that's not a weird thing. And so companies are going to have to adapt if they want to compete and attract these people. So part of the reason I felt comfortable moving here is because I saw that happening, that trend was going to happen. And so I said, well, I'm just going to work remotely the rest of my career. I'm going to figure it out. And, you know, like I wouldn't have to. I mean, Phoenix is a huge metro. It's like five, six million people. I could find a job locally if I needed to, but I don't think I will. And, you know, we we have seen this happening in the cloud accounting space since, what, 10 15, 20 years ago, it's been possible. I, I had a virtual firm with a dozen people and we all worked remotely. A lot of firms are doing that now. So yeah, it's it's like there's no reason why you have to be tied to a particular place or location. And so uh, people are going to do it just to escape the high housing prices. Well, that's my question, I guess, to you is like, I know that you guys move um, partially because of Thomas, right? Because you mm-hmm. and your wife were both working at home and that was really hard with also a child at home. And so you've got help and um, family in Arizona. So that's part of it, I think, is like lifestyle. But then part of it is also just dollars. Like oh, your yeah. dollars go a lot further, I imagine, in Arizona than LA. Yeah. I mean, I did the LA thing. I lived in Encino, which is, you know, on the other side of the hills from um, you know, Beverly Hills kind of thing, right? Or, or Santa Monica, right? You go over the 405, you're in the valley. So it's close enough, like 12 miles from Santa Monica, where I could commute down to my job in a high rise at a big accounting firm. I worked for the largest accounting firm in California. I had a corner office with a view of the ocean. You know, that's like, oh, you've, you've made it. You know, you're a manager, you're going to make partner. I was spending an hour each way to go 12 miles. Do you know how frustrating it is to drive five miles per hour to work? <laughs> So it's like, yeah, I could afford a really nice car, but it would go five miles per hour. That's kind of like the the trade-off. <laughs> and uh, it was tough because my wife is a professional. She tr- thought about quitting her job. She tried it for like three months and was like, I cannot do this stay-at-home mom thing. I'm going to go insane. So she wanted to keep her job and I don't blame her in the slightest. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just like burp babies all day long either. So... Uh, we had to figure out a way where we could both work and, you know, with me gone on the other side of town or whatever, commuting, like I couldn't really help. So that sucks. So it's not conducive to a good, like balanced family life or fair in any way. Right. Uh, and, and yeah, I was sitting in that office, but I was looking at the ocean. I never got to go, (laughs) Like you know, it it was almost like it got, it was great at first. And then it got to be sad. I'm wistfully looking out at the ocean as I fill out my timesheet. So, uh, so yeah, when the pandemic hit and we all got sent home and stuff, um, there was really no reason not to, not to move. And it's been great. Uh, and, and, and I think, I mean, you can see it. All the LA people are now coming to Phoenix and pushing up the prices. It's crazy. Anyone who tries to buy a house right now, it's it's like all cash offers, 20% over asking or more, just nuts kind of stuff. So um, I'm glad that I did it like early on in the pandemic. We spent three days at home with our son in a three bedroom apartment in LA. And, you know, we were trying to work with a nanny in the other, like on the other side of the wall and Thomas running around screaming just wasn't wasn't working after three days we gave up and we came here to stay with my parents for a while we bought a house three months later so i'm glad we did that like we we acted quickly you know yeah 
I remember, you, I remember you and I were either on a call or something. I remember, I remember those early days and you're like, we are getting the hell out. Like we have packed up the car and we are going to Arizona and you know, go stay for a while. And then you just never really went back. It was like one of those zombie apocalypse movies, right? Where the whole car was full and we were just peeling out, you know, <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> like, um, so I, incidentally, I just finished reading Grapes of Wrath for like the second time in my life. And um, <laughs> so was it like that? Like you've got the stuff hanging off the back of the car and, you know. Pretty much. Like, yeah. Oh. Not that, not that far off. Right. You know, like, <laughs> we're was... going to the promised land of, but you want oh, yeah. the other direction. And, and as we're driving, like we keep stopping, trying to find a place to use the bathroom. Nobody will let us in, you know, they're like, no, go away. Get out of here. <laughs> right. Felt like that kind of situation. Uh. But yeah, so we, no, I, people are going to do it. People are going to leave. They're going to, they're going to move out. Uh. What do you, yeah. What do you think the residual is? Because like I live in new Orleans, which is, you know, across the country, a pretty low cost place to live. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we've probably seen home prices grow going up too. I don't think it's um, the same as somebody, some places close to California as Arizona. Um, but what, like what happens? Like, is it just like, is housing going to just cost the same everywhere eventually or close to it? Does that mean that um, that there's going to be a settling of wages across, especially like tech companies? Like, what what is the long term effect of this? Yeah, I I think there will be like a dispersal or dispersion or I don't know what the word is where people do move out to smaller areas. The big problem right now is the internet. If you can't get the cable or better yet fiber internet, it's really hard to work. So we specifically looked for a neighborhood where we could get fiber because I said, if I'm going to work remotely, I want it to be good. I don't want to be having issues. Um, so that's a problem for like a, a lot of smaller areas or neighborhoods now. But all these satellite internet companies are cropping up and there's like 100,000 families using Starlink, which is Elon Musk's. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can get like 200, 100 to 200 megabits up and down with satellite. Theoretically, you can be anywhere in North America. If you have a clear line of sight to the Northern sky, you can, you can work, which is, that is really freeing because if you really want to go out somewhere, you can pay, you know, less than a thousand dollars a month for a home. That's very nice. So, you know, I'm just moving from LA to Phoenix, by the way. Uh, I think I was paying $3,900 a month for a three bedroom apartment in LA. Nice neighborhood. Um, if I'd been in Santa Monica, it would have been four to five, maybe more here for, you know, significantly less than that. I have a five bedroom home. Like I'm saving money every month. Yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. Like more space than we need as a three person family, because now we each have an office. We have, you know, space to work out. It's just, why wouldn't you? It's so. a good life. Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it will, I imagine that there is going to be, even after this sort of settles down the pandemic, there's going to be just the slow dripping exodus uh, from San Francisco, from New York, from the bigger cities, because, you know, you and I both at some point had lifestyle, basically lifestyle accounting practices, right? Where we had freedom, we had flexibility, we could do what we want. Well, if, if you can do that, but ha also have the safety net of a full-time job, like of being mm -hmm. in there, why wouldn't you do that? Um, yeah. And if, if you're a family where it's like two people working remotely, then you remove a lot of the risk. 
So like that, that, and we, we can actually like live here in a decent neighborhood on one salary if we had to. So I'm no longer thinking about my job as I can't lose my job. I better not, you know, piss anyone off. You know, I, I better like, I don't worry about that anymore because I know if I lose it, I'm not going to be struggling. Right. So that's another thing that I think is going to change how companies operate because the remote workforce, like they just don't care <laughs> right, <laughs> as much. And, uh, and you can't be abusive. Well, that's us. the point because if I can work remote, you know, for my company in New Orleans and you can work remote for a tech company in Arizona, then you can work for any tech company in yeah. Arizona or I can work for any, anybody who would hire me <laughs> sitting in New Orleans. So the good companies can hire from anywhere in the country, the best employees, right? And the best employees can take their pick of the best companies. So all this, like all these barriers are falling and, and it's good if you're good. Yeah. Well, you're good. Like, <laughs> well, thank you. you mentioned, I don't think you've even mentioned what job you're holding right now. So I work as the resident product marketer at a company called Giraffe, spelled with a J and a V. And so J-I-R-A-V. And you can see it, Amanda. Your listeners cannot. I have a lot of giraffes in my office. And uh, that's our mascot, our logo. And we make financial planning and analysis software that does forecasting, budgeting, reporting, and dashboarding. We partner with CPA firms so they can use it for all their clients. And I think it's the future of accounting is offering forward-looking financial statements to clients. So that's why I joined. Yeah. So let's talk about that because um, I've been doing some consulting with accounting firms too, where you know, the, I hate to even say the word advisory <laughs> because I'm just tired of, uh, where's my whiskey. I need to take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody drops, uh, let's see, advisory niching or, um, or, uh, AI that you have to drink. That should be, that should be a rule for cloud accounting podcast, by the way. I nominate. Well, yeah, no, I always tell David that he needs to drink artificial intelligence or machine learning. Those are the two buzzwords. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, so I got sick of hearing advisory. Everyone's saying, oh, you need to move to advisory. You need to move to advisory, especially the accounting associations. They love to say that, but they never say what that means or how. Right. And so I kept saying, okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? And on the management accounting side, it's finance. It's what people have actually been doing for ever since management accounting started, <laughs> Since people figured out how to make a forecast, they've been doing it inside of companies. It's just accounting firms haven't been doing it. And and all that really is, and this is what I've learned going to this company. I mean, part of the reason I took this job is because I like to learn. And if I'm not learning, I don't feel like I'm moving forward. And so I wanted to learn how to do the finance stuff. So it, it's really like, can you project a balance sheet? Can you say, what is my balance sheet going to look like next month, six months down the line, a year down the line? If you can do that, you can project cash flow and you can tell the business owner if they're going to hit their goals or not. Uh, and there's a lot more to it. You've got to build a financial model. And a lot of people just have like, don't know how to do that. Cause you have to become an Excel wizard to do that. So it's just not been something that accountants do. Uh, but if you can do it, then like that's, that's the essence of advisory and CAS, in my opinion, in the outsourced accounting, client accounting services space, like 
do that. That's that's advisory. Uh, it's not the only thing. I think there's tax planning advisory that needs to be happening. A lot of a lot of great, good CPAs have been doing this for a long time now, but a lot of clients just haven't gotten it because it's hard to do. So, you know, planning. It's all about planning, right? That's what financial planning and analysis is at the core is planning for the future. Yeah. And um, what I what I do like about what you guys do is you take tables, right? Spreadsheets, financial statements, whatever you want to call it, and make it more understandable for clients. And like at the push of a button. (laughs) So to your point, I don't have to learn Excel. I don't have to take Excel and convert it into tables or charts. I can just connect it to Giraffe and, um, and it makes something that's easier for me to present to my clients. And so when, um, when folks talk about advisory and they get accountants and bookkeepers get nervous about, I don't know what to do. I mean, something like Giraffe and I mean, there clearly there are others out there, but we do love Giraffe. Um, it, it just makes it so much easier. And what's what's really sexy is like you can take financial data and non-financial data. Yes. And advise on those together because, you know, newsflash, like running a business is not just, it's not just the dollars. It could be numbers of customers. It could be uh, website views. Like all these are other important metrics that are not necessarily financial and don't show up in the general ledger. Why do we have, like, we should be able to look at these things together, right? To make business decisions. So, Yeah. Definitely. We are, we are the people who are best positioned to collect account for that data. It doesn't just have to have a dollar sign in front of it. A lot of the most important metrics in a business that determine its success have nothing to do with money. Money is just an outcome. Like the financials are the outcome of everything that happened in the business to make money and to spend it to have net profit. So why are we using our outputs to try and figure out what's going to happen in the future? So yeah, we we bring in workforce data. So headcount is a super big indicator of how you're going to spend money. Like who are you planning to hire? That should be part of your plan. And then also the operational metrics, like you said, website visits, widgets produced, whatever it is, if you can track it in a spreadsheet in a row and columns, then you can bring it in and you can pivot that data visually in giraffe and help get some insights going, right? And budget for it too. You could actually budget for headcount. You should be budgeting for, uh, what's a good example, uh, cost to acquire a customer. You can you can actually set targets for that stuff and then you know, help your clients reach it. And it's been really eye-opening uh, working here and like learning how financial models get built and, and how important they are to determining a business success and like how many businesses just don't have it. You know, maybe they build one to like raise money and then they never look at it again. And like, that's not the way to succeed. Yeah. Um, it, and, and to your point, like we're a lot of folks, I think when they think budget, they think projected income statement amount for a given month. <laughs> like that's what a financial projection should be. And your point, like it's, it could be a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. So like classic example, right. Is, I need to figure out what my revenue is going to be the next 12 months. So I just take the last 12 months and then I multiply it by like 10% more, right? <laughs> and then that's my revenue for next year. And like, well, that only works if conditions are exactly the same. Right. If everything changes by exactly 10%. Right. And of course, that is what completely failed when COVID hit because a lot of business models just didn't work anymore. And so if you really want your projection to be accurate, you need to figure out what is it that leads to that revenue? 
what is the marketing funnel, the sales funnel that all creates that revenue, right? I need to sell X of this product, X of this product. And, you know, you, you can actually build that into an, a spreadsheet. And a lot of people do. We allow you to take that out of the spreadsheet, put it in the software, and then project that out, make that your budget, and then report on budget versus actual every month. And then if that's wrong, you, you change your model and then you know where you're going to be. So it's not just like a surprise that you didn't hit your number. So, so this, all this is leading to, um, to, or what should, what it should be leading to, in my opinion, is deeper, more meaningful relationships with clients. And I hear this a lot of times from accounting firms, traditional, stale, green marble firms. I hear, well, we aren't adopting technology. We, we, you know, like their hands are out, their palms are up. We're, we don't like tech because that's going to erode our relationship. And we are built, this firm is built on you know, meeting with clients face to face and taking their paper um, forms. And, you know, that's the basis of the relationship. But I think what, what the best firms are doing is, is the opposite is using this technology to deepen those relationships, not put it up. And I, I wish that more traditional firms would be open to that and listen. Yeah. It's, it's so great. If you, if you can sit down with a client and start talking about how their business works and understand like the model, the business model that opens up so many different things to talk about. It's incredible. Uh, yeah. If, if they're just coming in to give you paper and that's your face to face, like that's, you're not creating a lot of value. I mean, there's something there. You, you, you might be friends with them. You know, you talk to them, that sort of thing, but like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, I don't even know what, to say it's not you're not creating value there so if you if you want to really help them you got to understand their business and help them figure out how they can improve it and you know maybe that's pricing maybe that's cutting costs maybe that's all sorts of things you can be a you can be like a cfo to your clients now because of the tech you just have to you know have that set up and then you can be in their business even though if you know you're across the country or something so well and and um the the important thing to me is like, it's not really about so much increase being able to build them more for this, but like we, we are qualified to do this. And I think a lot of yeah. accountants and bookkeepers think, well, you know, I'm not able to do this. I don't have a, a you know, a whatever. I don't know how to, how to do, I've never been taught how to do financial modeling. Well, I, I, I promise you there are people out there that are business coaches that are not nearly as qualified to you to do this as you that are, that are going out there and, and advising. And really it's, it's, it's just, about, it's about listening. I mean, you know how to, you know how to, what to do with it. Well, I think, I think most just to finish that out, like that's a good point, right? We didn't learn how to do this in school, but most accountants have a model for how their business works. So, you know, you know that if, let's say you're on an hourly model, I, 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 it's not, it's not my favorite, but it works. Okay. So Let's say you're on an hourly model. You know how many hours you got to bill. Multiply that by the rate. You know all the clients. Like you can forecast out your revenue and all that stuff. So you, if you've got that for yourself, you could build a model for that. You can build a model for your client. They may have different inputs and outputs, but it's the same concept. So, like you're already doing it. You know the 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 same methodology used to grow your own practice. You can apply to them. So can we um, flip this for a second and go from from dashboarding and advisory work where I think I think 
tech has taken us in the right direction and and done something good for us in the accounting space to the place where I think accounting technology has completely failed. And that is tax software. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. Like we thought that somebody would come in and disrupt this space, but I think tax is so complicated here that there's just such insane barriers to entry to like build anything. Nobody, who was it that was going to come in and, and do it? Canopy, right? Canopy was going to build modern cloud-based tax software. And they just, they ended up reverting to practice management. I think, because, um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But they had this um, big goal to like disrupt, you know, CCH and whatever. So just to, to expand on what we're talking about or to explain what we're talking about, what we're talking about is that there are no true good cloud-based, browser-based income tax software packages. I haven't heard of anyone using it or uh, I haven't heard of a lot of firms. It, it seems like the one thing that you have to have a desktop for, and like this is why firms are stuck on virtual desktops or just having a server in the office is because all the good tax software is desktop-based. It's not cloud-based. Or if it is cloud, it's just like hosted in the cloud. It's yeah, just there, like... There was one for a while... It was agile, ta- agile attacks. I never heard did. of it. Yeah, this was like this was um, probably five or six years ago. This was when I was doing tax returns, which I haven't done in a long time. Um, I think it might have been I don't know Thomson Reuters product. We can we can definitely check, or I'm sure somebody will call me out on it for if I'm wrong. But um, it was terrible. Like it was so bad. I I I in the middle of tax season called them and demanded a refund and immediately signed up for Drake. Because I was like, I have all these tax returns and this is just not working at all. It was just so bad. But that's the that is the biggest like disconnect. Like we can build these really sexy ecosystems that do all these awesome management things for our our clients, but then we get to the end of the year. CSV trial balance, please. <laughs> yeah. Or if, if and you know, I, I have one client that I still do the books for, and I get asked for the uh, the Excel you know, PDF, <laughs> like send me your trial balance, uh, general ledger. I've tried to get them to log into zero because I'm using zero with that client. Nope. Not going to happen. I've offered to teach them how, nope. They just want the Excel. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so there's software that can make that more, um, that can make that easier. That would be a pretty good, pretty good thing. Yeah, and, and the the one that I have heard of is Baco Tech. It's pretty. I, I was just on a call with their founder Ford this morning because um, it came up on the podcast. They think they 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 had like a press release or something, and they described themselves as middleware middleware between the accounting package and the tax software, and they pull in all the transactions from like QuickBooks Online or Zero, and then you can actually post journal entries back into the accounting software or make tax entries they basically recreate the trial balance so it's like that that broken point where you have the trial balance output from the accounting software and then normally the tax pro pulls it into excel makes a bunch of adjusting entries and columns and then they get their final output and then they map that into the tax software or more likely just key it in (laughs) Right? right that whole process is like automated now and nobody ever goes back to put the adjusting entries into the tax software. I mean, into the DL until the next year when they go to try and figure out why the balance sheet doesn't roll. Yeah. yeah. That part. Yeah. Well, it's good. That's actually a good solution. 
So what was cool is he, he, I was on a call and he told me that like they had finished all of their tax work like in what, by February for last year. And it makes sense because if you have the data flowing in all year long, you can just be making tax adjustments all year long. And I like this idea because this is exactly why a lot of tax practices or CPA firms have added CAS because when you have the CAS team, they're they're making the they're they're keeping the books clean all year long and they know what your tax team needs. And it makes the tax really, really profitable because it maybe it only takes a few hours to do a tax return, but you can still charge the same amount of money. And that was, by the way, why uh, I was able to sell my bookkeeping practice to a CPA firm because they were interested in the efficiencies. Like, like basically, you can make your tax stuff like 10 times more efficient if you're doing the bookkeeping yourself. And so that's why a lot of firms are getting into CAS. But what really was interesting about this product, this Baco Tech thing is if you're doing this, then you don't have to actually do the CAS. And I think a lot of firms don't want to do the CAS. That is absolutely true. I mean, you know, you guys reported on the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I like Deloitte Canada totally backed out of it after building a whole it's, <laughs> service line around it. Well, it's because it's hard, right? And um, it requires changing your billing model and your employee evaluation model. It can't be hourly for CAS to succeed. And that's why all the big firms fail because they try to stuff CAS into the hourly model. Everything looks like shit in CAS on an hourly model, <laughs> right? Right? It doesn't. It doesn't work. You always look like you're over budget. You, you always get these sh- terrible margins, and it looks bad because you're you're looking too narrow. Like you're not seeing. Okay, big picture. CAS is yes. It's not as profitable as tax and audit generally, but like it creates so many efficiencies for your tax team. Now they're way, way, way more profitable. So look at holistically, right? The client, uh, but most accounting firms can't do that. They miss the forest for the tree. So this will allow them, I think this product, this could be successful because this will allow them to get the benefits of having that data all the time, continuous planning, continuous tax planning, but without having to actually start their own cast practice, which the, you know, to be fair, there just aren't even enough good cast people around to like fill all the firms. Like there's just, if you know anything about cloud accounting right now and you could like start a practice, like you could probably just go get any job you want. There's so many firms that want to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why we started elephant, right? Is because there's just, there isn't, there weren't, and there still aren't um, enough trained accountants that are trained in technology to do CAS efficiently. Yeah. And I, I love it because it's like, we're really just teaching them how to do bookkeeping and bookkeeping has been so looked down upon by the accounting profession for so long and they just can't do it. And I love that because I started as a bookkeeper and I think it's hilarious that you've got these highly trained CPAs. I'm a CPA myself, but like there's so many CPAs who can't make a freaking journal entry yeah. or figure out how to like book something properly in an accounting system because, payment. or reconcile a bank account. It's like, yeah, you guys think you're so hot, right? Yeah, you can't even do bookkeeping, right? Because <laughs> it's hard. And every system's a little different. And you got to know your debits and credits to really figure it out. And um, This will yeah, um, crack up, I think, because like one of the things that I hear all the time from um, accountants as a criticism of zero is, I cannot make a journal entry to cash because that's yeah. how they plug everything. <laughs> you know, I can't make a journal entry to cash. So yeah. you actually go through the process of reconciling. Um, anyway, so that's, <laughs> that, that's it's a, a good, it's a good point. You know why they don't let you do that? Because too many people screw it up. <laughs> you know? 
Although they they really should have come up with a workaround. I feel like it's little things like that that piss people off. And that's the reason that they, they had a slow go in the US. Little stuff. Well, you know, you can make a journal entry to, to cash and zero. It's called a spend to receive money. Yeah, you just have to learn. Do it. It's you not just have to learn how to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. okay. Well, I uh, I do want to get, I do want to talk um, a little bit about what you have coming up in the next, sounds like a couple of months. You spent yes. some time on a big project. So uh, in my role as a product marketer, I do a lot of CPE education. Yeah, this is this is how, for, for any of your listeners who aren't aware of this whole scam in the, in the technology world, it's not a scam. It's just, it's how we get leads. Okay. So we, we, we create education courses. We put them on CPA Academy or on what in my CPE or, uh, any of these providers. And, and we, we pay, they pay somebody like me to create it. If it's a good CPE course, you actually learn something. If it's a bad one, it's just a, a demo. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not really learning anything, but you get your CPE credit, right? So this is that's why CPE has come, become free uh, in a lot of ways. Like you can get a lot of free CPE. Uh, a lot of it's not very good. That's been one of my complaints. The other complaint I have is that you have to sit in front of a computer to do it. And we are all sitting in front of computers all day long. Like who wants to earn CPE watching another webinar? Um, and so I am working on a mobile app that will allow you to earn CPE for listening to podcasts. So this is something that listeners of our show have been asking for. Like, can I get CPE credit for listening to the cloud accounting podcast? Because I enjoy it so much. Uh, I learned so much from it. And so I have made it my personal mission to figure out how to do that. So that is uh, coming soon. It is called Earmark. And you can sign up for early access at earmarkcpe.com. Join my mailing list and I will let you know as soon as it's available. So I, I actually just got the early release version on my iPhone. Like the icon is right here. Amanda, you can see it. Oh, that's I, awesome. I mean, I don't, you can see it, but I there can. it is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have to still, of course, get through the NASBA CPE uh, maze to get certified to do it. But hopefully, um, That'll happen pretty soon, and then we'll be able to start issuing credit for people listening to podcasts. Yeah, well, I've Make said it before, and I'll say it again. Like, the, there is so much good stuff on the podcast, on your podcast, not my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think your podcast is really good, Amanda. Well, that's very sweet. Like, thank you, thank you. It's Especially a lot of the episode where I'm on it. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun to hang out with my friends. You know that, um, but I do think that the Cloud Accounting Podcast with you and David is. Um, is really informative. It's really educational. I love listening to you guys. So. Well, thank you. Well, um, thank you for joining me today. It was fun to have, to have you on and to uh, dork out a little bit about accounting tech. Thank you for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to dork out with you, Amanda. Well, hopefully we get to dork out in person soon. Yes. Right, see you like, thank you for joining. Bye. Bye.